0: This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM.
1: Warning the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. And welcome to Safety Wars. For Friday, January 27th, 2023, from the border of Liberty and Prosperity in the highway to the north, located in Beautiful. We're broadcasting live from beautiful Clarkstown, New York. This is actually uh, going to be a great program I feel and I'll be able to upload five programs this week because sometimes they're not so good. and I'm not going to torture people again and again and again with a bad program or I'm not satisfied. Anyway, hope you had a great week. Hope you had a productive week. I hope you're going to have a great weekend ahead. So we're going to be talking about a couple of things here. We're going to start out. With a uh, memorializing, commemorating uh, Apollo 1 and the Challenger 7 Then we're going to talk a little bit about news views, And we're going to finish up with Holocaust Remembrance Day With some commentary like only I am willing to give on this stuff It's sickening Man's cruelty to other men Evil's cruelty to other people we're probably going to have an emergency transmission on this whole nuclear stuff going on uh, and disaster management and stuff like that, uh, if not Sunday, then Monday. So that's uh, what we have. Let's get on with the show. So anyway, we uh, had a near miss this week. We had an incident and it and we said, well, we, someone didn't follow the emergency action plan. I said, you know what, this is a positive thing because now we know that people don't follow the emergency action plan. That's actually a good thing. We're going to retrain and everything else, not blame, shame and retrain, but hey, reiterate, you no, know, say, hey, this is the emergency action plan for this facility and what we've have worked out and everything else. We actually found a very good weak spot in our whole safety management plan and, uh, we corrected it, but I said, you know, uh, it's fine uh, in a way that nothing happened. There was no harm, no foul, or anything. Uh, where we had a slight emergency on the site and someone called 911. Now so you can say, well, okay, they dialed 911. What's the big deal? The site has its own emergency number. And when the emergency responders showed up, they didn't know where to go. The facility person said, well, I don't know. There's no emergency. Nobody told me about it. And this is all done by a. Uh, supervisor who didn't bother telling any of the other supervisors or any of the other people on site, like me, like the project manager, like anybody else. So now we had a situation that was a near miss. I can't really go into details. It uh, turned out to be a near miss. And, uh, and uh, now we have a situation where, okay, well, how come you did that? and in a non-confrontational way okay now we know that he did not realize even after you tell him that this was a thing and i said look i said is it realistic is it really realistic after when do they come in national 911 1991, 1992, as I recall, I know because I was in senior year of college and they ended up having to rename a whole boatload of uh, streets in and around where my college was. That was Stockton State College. Back in those days. I'll give them a shout out, a shout out. Now Richard Stockton New University in New Jersey, they went through two name changes. And what ended up happening was uh, they had to change a lot of street names for the 911 National 911. Anyway, make a short story long, uh, drilled into us for 30 years, over 30 years, 911, 911, 911. It's kind of hard and difficult to expect, after that's been driven into our brains so much, to have a situation where, okay, now we're at a facility, forget 911, now you have to call this 10 uh, digit number. kind of hard to get people into that mindset a lot of reasons why one so the facility knows what's going on too so when you die when you call the facility right emergency number now they call the 911 service now you have a direct line to the uh emergency responders and the caller id and address and everything uh, number three is there may be things going on. on This is a big facility. There may be other things going on at the facility that uh, that the emergency may be impacting. Number four, it's in the plan that says you're going to call this number, not 911. So uh, no harm, no foul on this one. It was a good dry run in case you have, God forbid, knock on wood. Yes, I do use a craps table felt, right, with a pass line and don't pass line and everything. And, uh, so I'm knocking on that. So what's my point with all of this near miss you've, you'll try to learn from doesn't but realize that a lot of near misses don't actually have anything to do with the final thing. Most of the time, my experience with the final with an accident, right? So what do we have? What's our commemoration here? And, Usually this goes without a lot of fanfare, but this year, uh, and last year it was 55 years, now it's 56 years, right, was the Apollo 1 disaster. So, in for some of you younger listeners out there, we had a thing in the 1960s called the Space Race between us and then Soviet Union. And we had, if you ever watched the movie, The Right Stuff, starring Ed Harris, Uh, He played uh, astronaut John Glenn, who then later became a senator. He, uh, from Ohio, I believe it was. Anyway, uh, it talks about the Mercury missions, right? And the Mercury astronauts, or the Mercury 7 astronauts, original astronauts. And what they wanted to do was, uh, more or less, it was proof of concept, where they were able to go up and show that they're able to orbit the Earth. They're able to uh, do different things. Right, whatever it is, right. Uh, Well, it's basically for to, you know get our feet wet more or less, and then you had the Gemini missions. The Gemini's were more or less a warm up to the Apollo, where they started orbiting things. They started doing like uh, walks, right tethered walks from uh, uh space walks from the capsules and they developed more and more technology now the apollo mission that was going to be to the men to the moon and back When we were going to start uh, no sending people up around to go around the moon orbit the moon then come back and then developing sort of like what uh, tesla did a couple of weeks ago i believe that was tesla where they sent a. Uh, 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 and, uh, a capsule around the moon, right? Check things out and everything. That's sort of like what we went on a couple of weeks ago. Now, Apollo 1, they were doing a test, a launch rehearsal test on January 27, 1967. Three astronauts were killed inside. Astronauts Gus Grissom, uh, who is pro- uh, prominently featured in the uh, movie The Right Stuff, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee. There was a flash fire inside the Apollo 1 crew capsule during a launch test rehearsal. And this is, I'm reading an article from astronomy.com. So, uh, every year they apparently have a memorial at cape canaveral for these folks i want to mention them now on this on safety words because i really haven't heard any radio show or tv show maybe on pbs tonight on this three engraved benches are at the memorial site at cape canaveral at, right Furnish their own voices, words of tribute. Launch Complex 34, Friday, 27th of January, 1967, 1831 hours. One laconically reads, The other recalls three astronauts who died on this spot more than a half a century ago. These American sons, Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee, or Chaffey, were lost in appalling circumstances, yet their sacrifice helped facilitate the success of the Apollo program's push to land men on the moon. Right? Apollo 1's crew knew their ship would never reach the moon. It was never meant to. The bare Block 1 spacecraft intended only for Earth orbital tests had none of the navigational wizardry or docking tools necessary for a lunar voyage. Those flights were the way more advanced Block 2, but from the start, many astronauts disliked the districts of Block 1 for its faulty wiring, bad software, leaky valves, and dozens of unresolved technical issues. Prime contractor North American Aviation was roundly blamed for poor workmanship and lack safety standards. A slick, uh, slick big time bunch of Washington operators astronaut Tom Stafford cynically opined in his memoir, "We have capture. Compared to the moon uh, compared to the mom and pop operation at McDonald's" which felt NASA's earlier Gemini spacecraft. During Gemini, astronauts could talk to the boss, James McDonald himself, but North American was a very different corporate feast. Sound familiar? Again, I'm just reading a, an article here, astronomy.com from last year. So you put layers of management between the people in the field with, on the sharp end of the stick, the people making the decisions. When does that ever happen? I know of a company, a mechanical contractor, where everybody in the company had the cell phone number to the owner of the company and they employed 400 people, 500 people at any one time, maybe more. You had a problem, you called up the owner directly or the president. He was a corporation, the president directly. And guess what? He was not one of those presidents. He inherited the company from his uh, father, and I believe his grandfather before that owned the company. He was one of those people who were like uh, armchair people, armchair generals, best jockeys. He actually did the work because that was what they did. And back in the day, a lot of companies, your father, typically the father, owned the company. Guess what? You went out in the field and you actually did the work for two or three years, four years. Until you mastered something, you knew what it was, and then you went into the office. You learned to be a manager, right? All through all of this. So, anyway, he again, you could call him up at any one time. I still have his cell phone number. He said, Give me a call anytime we can talk on anything since it sold the company. Yet, North American, the company we're talking about, faced its own challenges. Notably, NASA's mandate that Apollo's that the Apollo capsule should possess a pure oxygen atmosphere. This choice was less technically challenging than arranging an Earth-like uh, oxygen nitrogen mix, but it posed an extreme fire risk. Anything in spacecraft that accidentally caught a blaze would explosively burn—a true devil's bargain. Now, this is not in this article, but I just know this from reading. Basically, we remember the fire triangle. We remember the, uh, or now it's the fire tetrahedron, where you need three things for a fire. An oxidizer, right, of some sort, and usually oxygen in air, but not necessary. You can have an oxidizer. You need a fuel of some sort. You need uh, an initiating event energy of some sort usually people think spark but it's not necessarily a spark it's just energy of some sort so if you have a shock sensitive uh, material then you are able to uh you know the energy you get this guess what now, now that it, uh that detonated right because there was enough energy in there and also you need a chemical reaction a you know, free radicals to react and everything in there for it to be self-sustaining. That's my understanding of fire, I'm not a fire scientist. But you need basically those four things. On four years, it was a fire triangle where you needed, you know, three things, not the chemical reaction. But anyway, you could go, it's a long history. For according to what I've also read was this pure oxygen environment where you're overloading the uh, the uh, with oxygen made anything that was aluminum in there and any other highly reactive metals, all metals are uh, flammable pretty much or, or are reactive if it's in the right form, right? Usually a finely granulated powder or in smaller things. But it basically, so there was an initiating event in this capsule and it caused a lot of the aluminum in there and other circuitry and anything flammable in there to actually, like kindling wood, just light up. So, backdrop by this palpable sense of unease, 1967 dawn, dawned. Commander Virgil Gus Grissom, America's second man in space, was joined on Apollo 1 by senior pilot Ed White, the nation's first spacewalker. Rounding out the Apollo 1 crew was pilot Roger Chafee, an energetic rookie. The plan was that they would fly a 15-story Saturn 1B rocket into Earth orbit in late February for a two-week shakedown of Apollo's myriad systems. Now, a little bit of an aside. There's a story today in the news. There's a Saturn 1B rocket on display in Alabama, on the side of the highway somewhere and it's in danger of falling soon and they want to dismantle it that was in the news today so if you're interested in how that 1b rocket looked google it and you'll come up with a story in alabama but grissom harvard scant faith in this ship branding it's the design sloppy and unsafe. Even the simulators never march in lockstep with ever-changing software and hardware modifications to the spacecraft. His crew had a mocking portrait taken, their heads bowed in prayer, hopefully that the space gods might conjure up ha- some happy fortune. Quote, It's not that we don't trust you, they told NASA us We decided to go over your head. When a journalist asked what would make Apollo 1 successful, Grissom unsmilingly retorted that this that getting his men home alive was enough. On the, I'm skipping some stuff here. On the afternoon of July uh, January twenty seventh, Clan in their spacesuits, the crew boarded Apollo One cap, the Apollo One capsule, perched high atop the Saturn One B. Grissom noticed a strange odor like sour buttermilk. And air samples revealed nothing untoward. Okay, now, what do we know about air sampling? Your nose, chances are, is going to be more sensitive than any air samples or air monitoring you're going to have as for things. That's my experience. So something doesn't smell right. Today we would say, ah, you know, it doesn't smell right. Well, guess what? We're not going to f with it. That's not what the. Uh, that's not what this was here. The heavy two-piece hatch was sealed, followed by the rocket's boost protective cover. Next, pure oxygen was pumped into the cabin. Now the other reason why why they used uh, pure oxygen was that there was a issue uh, on an earlier uh, mission where uh, somebody uh, had a uh, oxygen deficient atmosphere, and there was a fear of that, so they made this into a uh, uh, into a uh, uh, pure oxygen environment. Right, that's what I've read through the years. All right. Okay, and computer is locking up. It's great. No, no, no. All right. Uh, hold on. I hate computers. I really do. Pure oxygen was pumped into the cabin. The hatch caused headaches of its own North American. One of single-piece hatch fitted with explosive bolts so it could be quickly opened in an emergency. But NASA, fearful that the bolts could misfire while in space, nixed the idea. An inward-opening hatch when cabin pressure will help tightly seal it during flight, but the design also made it hard to open when on the ground. During simulations, even the super-fit white needed two full minutes to crank the hatch ajar. The test went badly from the outset. High-oxygen flow indicator repeatedly triggered Apollo's 1's master alarm, and spotty communications between Grissom and and astronaut Stu Rusa, seated in a nearby blockhouse caused tempers to fray. At one point Grissom bellowed the unvarnished angst. How are we going to get to the moon if we can't talk between two or three buildings? Sitting with Rusa was astronaut Deke Slayton. Seconds after 6.31 p.m., Eastern Standard Time. Slayton saw something odd on his monitor. It was an image of a camera pointed at Apollo 1's circular hatch window. Instead of a dark circle, it was illuminated, almost white. Suddenly, the crew's biomedical readings skyrocketed, indicating increased oxygen flow in their spacesuits. Other sensors detected a brief sap power surge. Then came a first call from inside Apollo 1. It was Chaffey's voice, and it was just one word, fire. Now the calls came... Thick and fast. We got a fire in the cockpit, JVL. Let's get out. We're burning up. Let's, right, two minutes to get the hell out of that thing, right? In this little tiny capsule. His transmission ended with a scream that was blood curdling both in its brevity and agony. Downstairs, uh, downstairs on the launch transfer store, technician Gary Probst looked at his monitor and saw White, arms raised over his head, fiddling with the hatch. Probst wondered why he did not just open the hatch, but to do so, White needed a ratchet to release multiple bolts. With only seconds available before the fire and smoke claimed and he scarcely had time to loosen the first bolt. It made no difference. Fire-hungry gorged or Apollo ones as pressures sealed the hatch with immense force. No man on earth could have opened it under such circumstances. And the fire was horrific. They have a picture of it. Would-be rescuers were beaten back by incensive weeds and heat and what pad leader Don Babbitt called a heavy, thick race smoke, very billowing but very thick. No one could see far beyond the end of their nose 27 technicians retreated that night for smoke inhalation But the real horror came when rescuers reached Apollo one five minutes after Shafi's Ch- initial shout now I remember seeing a video of this happening uh from far away this capsule igniting and it was real quick it ignited uh the command module, dimly lit by flickering flashlights, was a scene of devastation. Grissom, White, and Chiefy were dead. None had suffered life-threatening burns, all having succumbed to asphyxiation. Investigators found the fire likely sparked under Grissom's left footrest through some unprotected or chafed wires. Fed by pure oxygen with Velcro pads, nylon knots, and polyurethane panels, adding extra fuel, an inferno took hold. All right. What's the lasting legacy of this? They were buried, uh, Ch- Christopher and Chafer were buried in Arlington, Whiteley interested at his beloved West Point, right? And over the next year, Apollo was reborn a phoenix from the ashes. The spacecraft cabin was pressurized with 60 40 oxygen nitrogen mix. All flammable materials were removed, and a new single piece hatch was installed that could be swung open in seconds with a push from an astronaut's pinky. Aluminum plumbing was replaced by stainless steel. Right, aluminum is extremely flammable, guys. Uh, coolant pipes are armored with highly strength, high strength epoxy. Wire bundles are encased in metal. Nylon was replaced with fire retardant Teflon, and paper minimized, including reading material. Notebooks or magazines. Nor can we take anything made with paper to play with, such as cards or puzzles. The Apollo fire remains one of America's dark- darkest moments and er- er- arose from the insatiable gold go fever and the perverse prioritization of schedule over safety. A cruel lesson that will be repeated, the anniversaries tomorrow with Challenger in 1986 and Columbia in February 1st, 2003. So, again, a grain of optimism could be salvaged from this, right? Without Grissom, White, and Chaffee's sacrifices, it's highly improbable that America could have safely reached the moon. And that surely is a legacy which we could take with pride. With the Challenger disaster, we had seven people who were killed. I watched this live on TV. It was a snow day that day. I was uh, a junior in... uh. I was a junior in, uh, high school when the Challenger, uh, exploded and I was at a, uh, event, a political event when the Columbia exploded. Um, there's, it was, I really did not even, I really did not even, uh, realize what was happening with challenger when of you know uh, and the people have all different types of stories with it and basically an o-ring what was driving it was this uh a lot of school we had a snow day right we had a uh, snow day on uh, that day and what happened was, it wasn't like today with internet access and everything else uh, where you can see things. It was a big deal to get a TV into the school. All right? They were not as portable and, and, and as that. They were heavy. We were talking cathode rate and uh, vacuum tubes for the most part, black and white. And you were, uh, you know, you were uh, li- living with no cable. You were dealing with rabbit ears, antennas, right, on that. And there, so you had all these students watching this, and you had Krista McAuliffe, who recently had a uh, coin who was a teacher to fly in space. So this was a thing for everybody to get behind. It was exciting for a lot of people that they we were going to have a teacher to find someone who these teachers that were teaching us especially in the uh, grammar schools, could get behind, right? It would be like, it would be like, okay, it would be like, hey, we have a health and safety professional up on, the, on that, right? And they were meant there to show, right? It was like, uh, like that. And I've always said, we need a hero health and safety professionals to really push the envelope here with this. But then I remember Ronald Reagan's uh, 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 inaugural speech that said that no, we look in the wrong place for the heroes. The heroes could be the person right next to you. Heroes are all over the place. You just got to know where to look. But, and that's what it was. So this was the setting for this, as I recall. So a lot of students, this was going to go. This was a big PR thing. And they launched and they had a leak and it blew up the uh, space shuttle challenger with that so we won't go in there a whole books written on this i didn't want i'm into the weeds a little bit but there were uh, that's uh, the anniversary tomorrow of that uh seven people the spacecraft commander was francis r dick scoby the pilot was michael j smith one of the three mission specialists was Judith Resnick, another mission specialist, Ronald McNair, and uh, Allison On- Oniz- Onizuka was the other mission specialist. Last two members of the Challenger crew. Allison S. Onizuka, Gregory I'm sorry, uh, that was the last specialist. The last two members of the Challenger, Challenger crew were Gregory B. Jarvis, payload specialist. And the last member of the crew was Sharon Krista McAuliffe, the first teacher to fly in space. And she uh, was among more than 11,000 applicants from the education professional profession to, uh, for entrance into the astronaut ranks. But, you know, real sad to watch that. We have to remember, and, you know, we'll mention something on February 1st for uh, the Space Shuttle Columbia. Uh, I, knew, I knew several people on the cleanup crew for that uh, Space Shuttle Columbia, and it was uh, no, very harrowing there. And rest in peace, everyone. Uh, and we're going to go
0: to commercial break. Lane Hoffman with the safety pro. Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support.
1: OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. The U.S. Department of Labor revises the OSHA combustible dust standard national emphasis program. Uh, This is from the uh, press release from OSHA. The U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration today issued a revised combustible dust national emphasis program. Any combustible dust material that can burn rapidly when in finely divided form. if such a dust is suspended in the air in the right concentration under certain conditions, it can become explosives. So when does this happen? All right. Now, I'll mention where their emphasis are there, right? Usually, dust accumulates somewhere, usually up in the rafters, right? It becomes airborne from a gust of wind, building, shaking, what have you. Then it comes down of fine powder and ends up coming into uh, an ignition source, and you have an explosion, all right? Uh, YouTube is filled with videos. Per- the purpose of the revised emphasis program is to continue... Uh, OSHA's inspection of facilities that that generate or handle combustible dust likely to cause a fire, flash fire, deflagration, and explosion hazard. The uh, National Emphasis Program, NEP, was revised based on enforcement history and combustible dust incident reports. In 2018, wood and food products made up an average of 70% of the materials involved in combustible dust fires and explosions. Incident reports indicate that the majority of industries involved in combustible dust hazards are wood processing, agricultural, and food production and lumber production, but others are susceptible as well. The revised program sets forth a new approach for locating and inspecting uh, subject establishments. The following industries were added to the program because OSHA found they had a higher likelihood of having combustible dust hazards or experienced combustible dust-related fatalities in Catastrophes. Uh, that's commercial bakeries, printing ink manufacturers, cut stock, resawing lumber, and plan planing, leather and hide tanning and finishing, trust manufacturing, grain and field being merchant wholesalers. But remember, no construction sites, right, are famous for this because what do you have? You have wood on a lot of them, wood dust, sawdust. My brother uh, got, got, got a whole bunch of sawdust one time. He said, hey, I'm going to put it in uh, my wood-burning stove. Let's just say we're lucky it, it almost blew up the friggin' stove. Not a good thing. He said, Jimmy, don't ever do that, man. Facing manslaughter charges and workers' 2021 trench collapse, Colorado contractor who willful, willfully ignored federal law surrenders to the police. The owner of a Vail construction company facing uh, felony manslaughter charges has surrendered to local law enforcement after the Summit County Sheriff's Office in Breckenridge, Colorado issued an arrest warrant on January 24th related to the findings of a federal. Uh, safety investigation to a deadly trench collapse in November 2021. In May 2022, OSHA cited a person, innocent until proven guilty, remember that, owner of a now-defunct company after working in Work after a worker installing residential sewer pipes suffered fatal injury when the trench around him caved in. The collapse resulted from deteriorating conditions at the project, which the company could have prevented by using legally required trench protection systems. OSHA issued 3, Willful Violations Are Not In ensuring the excavation was inspected by a competent person failing to instruct for employees on the recognition and avoidance of unsafe conditions and not having a trench protective system in place. Investigators also issued an additional serious citation for not having a safe means of egress within 25 lateral feet of employees working in the trench. The agency proposed penalties of $449,000 plus and placed the company in OSHA's severe violator enforcement program. Okay, the owner has shuttered the company and agreed, and this is the guy who uh, was uh, uh, arrested, agreed to forfeit any future ownership, leadership, or management position that involves trenching or excavation or the oversight of workplace safety and health. There's no excuse for this person's, and I'm not going to mention his name, failures to protect workers when federal requirements clearly require, right? So I have a story about this. I have a story on everything. As you know, It wouldn't be safety words without a story. I was hired to be a competent person one day for a company that everyone has heard of in New Jersey. And, uh, I went there, and this is back in 96, 95, something like that. And we, uh, I went out there. They're doing a sewer uh, install, and it was going through hazardous materials, so they wanted a competent person there to do air monitoring. And uh, they, when I went there, they deliberately broke all the equipment. Wouldn't you know it. All right? So, uh, again, I said, well, And they had all different problems with this. And I said, well, you know what? You got to do this and this. They said, well, you don't have the authority to do that. Then I said, you know what? I'm not the competent person because the competent person has to be able to assess the hazard and also has to be able to fix the hazard, remediate, stop work authority. If you don't have that, you're not the competent person. Then the person who has that authority becomes the competent person. What apparently happened on this job site was that, hey, guys, go out there and do it. Blah, 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 and uh, nobody was in charge. And if nobody's in charge, then nobody's in charge. So, big news from OSHA yesterday. Huge news. I'm going to read right from the press release. The U.S. Department of Labor uh, announced that its Occupational Safety and Health Administration has issued new enforcement guidance to make its penalties more effective in stopping employers from repeatedly in exposing workers to life-threatening hazards or failing to comply with certain workplace safety and health requirements. OSHA... Uh, OSHA regional administration, administrators and area office directors now have the authority to cite certain types of violations as instant-by-instant instant citations for cases where the agency identifies high-gravity serious violations of OSHA standards specific to certain conditions where the language of the rule supports a citation for each instance of noncompliance. These conditions include, and I'm sure they're not limited to this, but they include... Lockout/tagout, machine guarding, permit required confined space, respiratory protection, falls, trenching, and for cases with other than serious violations, specific to record keeping. If you've been following us, here you know what company, what, what company uh, actually uh, they probably are issued that from, right? About that. The changes intended to ensure OSHA personnel are applying the full authority of OSHA where increased citations are needed to discourage non compliance. New guidance covers enforcement activity in general industry, agriculture, maritime, and construction industry and becomes effective 60 days from January 26, 2023. The current policy has been in place since 1990 and only applies to egregious willful citations. And a second action. Right? More good News. OSHA is reminding its regional administrators and area directions of their authority not to group violations and to instead save them separately to more effectively encourage employers to comply with the intent of the OSHA Act. Smart, well, this is a quote, uh, smart impactful enforcement means using all tools available to us when so the employer doesn't, quote, doesn't get it. And will respond to only additional deterrence in the form of increased citations and penalties, explained Assistant Secretary for Occupational Safety and Health, Doug Parker. This is intended to be a targeted strategy for those employers who repeatedly choose to put profits before their employees' safety and health and well-being. Employers who cautiously view Injured or sickened wor- um, workers simply as a cost of doing business will face more serious consequences. Does that sound familiar? These changes in enforcement guidance are important enforcement tools to help deter employees from disregarding their responsibilities to protect workers and ensure compliance with OSHA standards and regulations. Existing guidance on instance-by-instance instance citations are outlined in the OSHA Field's Manual uh, CPL. O two dash zero zero dash zero eight zero. Handing cases be proposed for violation by violation penalties. They have a link here uh, on the website right to this. Uh, So let's read. This is short enough to read. Uh, This is dated today. Dated yesterday. This is the memo. The scope of this medal, um, uh, I can't say what, a, what employees to write this intent is that they're trying to... Uh, this is the update. They're trying to encourage people to work safely, right? So, the background. This ma- memorandum provides guidance concerning the expanded application of instance by instance citations. During, current policy, published in 1990, applies only to willful citations. OSHA believes that a more expansive application of the instance by instance citations will incentivize employees, blah, 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 blah. Employers, right? The scope. Of this guidance is limited to high gravity serious violations specific to falls, okay, trenching, machine guarding, respiratory protection, a per- permit required confined space, lockout, tagout, and other than serious violations specific to record keeping. The scope applies to all industries, right? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Uh. A decision to use instance by instance citation should normally be based on consideration of one or more of the factors listed below. The factors to be considered include the employer has received a willful repeat or failure to evade violation within the last five years for the classification is current. The employer has failed to report a fatality in patient hospitalization, amputation, or loss of an eye right pursuant to record keeping. Wow. Right? So it's not only record-keeping violations, it's failure to report. Proposed citations are related to a fatality or catastrophe, and the proposed record-keeping citations are related to injury illnesses that occurred as a result of a serious hazard. Instance-by-instance citations may be applied when the text of the relevant standard allows, such as, but not limited to, per machine, location, entity, or or employee, and when the instances of the violation cannot be abated by a single method of abatement. When an inspection may result in instance-by-instance violations, each instance should be documented thoroughly. And it goes on what that means. The case file must contain fully documented justification. A suffragette penalty shall be assessed for each violation and the adjustment factor shall be applied in accordance to FOM chapter 6 record keeping, right? FOM, whatever that is. So that's basically it. So again, there's going to be, this is some serious groove now here, right? Incredible what's going on there. EPA EPA launches new initiative to accelerate lead pipe replacement to protect underserved communities. As we recall, we've been covering this since even when we were only a podcast. Lead, right? And a lot of these communities, right? Uh, so uh, basically, they're going to be accelerating the right lead pipes and paint action plan, right? The initiative is a partnership with the Department of Labor, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Wisconsin, and will work with 40 communities across those states in 2023. The science is clear. There is no safe level of exposure to lead. EPA is committed to partnering with states. Well, that's good. They want to have 100% lead-free water systems for all, which is a good thing. Uh, I think that there will be a better Again, my opinion, one man's opinion, is if they removed uh, sovereign immunity uh, protections from people in charge of managing lead hazards for uh, public service, uh, public uh, entities. My opinion. Right? Uh, Because right now, none of the laws have any teeth in them with this. And the other thing that they could do is Place public employees under OSHA's jurisdiction, federal jurisdiction. All right, that will go to helping a lot of things. From the DOT, Biden Harris administration announced more than $380 million in grants to modernize ferry service, reduce emissions, and connect rural communities. U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Transit Administration announced today $384 million plus in federal funding from President Biden's. Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. This law keeps on coming up, right? For expanding and improving the nation's ferry service in communities across the country, as well as accelerate the transition to zero-emission transportation, this funding will benefit millions of Americans from Alaska to Michigan to Maryland who depend on coastal waters, rivers, bays, and other bodies of water to protect their communities. All right, so that's good. Grants on that. FEMA, and this is uh, another one that was released this week. FEMA is accepting applications for the Youth Preparedness Council, a program that brings teams together from across the nation who are interested and engaged in community preparedness. This is actually a pretty good idea. Uh, There's going to be more of a focus on this program on community and disaster preparedness, especially with the... uh, with the current stuff going on here. Okay. And our next, uh, nuclear strike chief sees cancer review of launch officers. The top Air Force general in charge of the nation's air and ground launch nuclear missiles has requested an official investigation into the number of officers who are reporting blood cancer diagnosis after serving at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana. The illnesses became known this week after the Associated Press obtained a military brief that at least nine missileers, those officers serving in underground bunkers near silo. Uh, based Minuteman III intercontinental ballistic missiles responsible for turning launch keys if order were reported, uh, were reporting diagnoses of non Hodgkin lymphoma. One of the officers has died. General Thomas A. Boussier, commander of Air Force Global Strike Command, which is responsible for all of the silo-based and aircraft-launched nuclear warheads, said in a statement to the AP Friday that he has requested uh, that the U.S. Air Force School of Aerospace Medicine conduct a formal assessment into the reported cancers. And they don't know what the scope of the investigation is going to be at other facilities and things of that nature with that. Let's look at our markets for today. I know it's late, but... Dow Jones Industrial came up after sinking today uh, to 33,97808. Almost 34000 there. S&P 500 up to forty seventy fifty six. NASDAQ at 11621 Russell 2000 at uh, 191146 That's up. 10-year Treasury up 3.5%. Bitcoin is at... 23,116. It's up. All right. So that's the highest it's been since January 25th. So it's been holding steady, but it's, you know, again, that, you know, that's always trading with that. And as far as Dow Jones Industrial, it's the highest 34,000. And has so, uh highest it's been since December of uh, 2022, December no November thirtieth, twenty twenty two. So things are looking up on the markets. Uh if you listen to uh some commentators out there, they're going berserk and saying this is all well full grooving up. So anyway. The markets, the gold. Silver, platinum, palladium, gold down slightly. Nineteen thirty seven seventy. Silver sank to twenty three eighty eight. Platinum at one thousand twenty nine and palladium is at sixteen forty eight. Major drop in that. I don't know what caused that. Uh today uh it's low. So moving on. Today I got a lot of stuff commemorating this uh Weekend, Auschwitz anniversary marked as peace again shattered by war. This is in Poland, Auschwitz Birkenau survivors, and other mourners commemorated the 78th anniversary Friday of the Nazi-German death camp's liberation, some expressing horror that the war has again shattered the peace in Europe and the lesson of never again is being forgotten. The former concentration and extermination camp is located in the cow of Oswikom. I cannot... My Polish is not that good. I'm sorry. I know grovno though. And a couple of other choice words. In southern Poland which was under the occupation of German forces during World War II and became a place of systemic murder of Jews, Poles, Soviet prisoners of war, Roma, that means gypsies, and other targeted for elimination by Adolf Hitler and his hunchmen. It was basically political opponents, homosexuals, that sort of thing. And also one point one million people were killed at the vast complex before it was liberated by Soviet troops on january twenty seventh, nineteen forty five. Uh my parents were there. I was never there. Uh my uh, uh, sh- shaken it was life altering for them, shaken to the core. This is after my mother spent World War II in concentration camps in the Soviet Union. So I don't know.
0: Horrific.
1: It's a shame. I don't know what to say. I'm speechless here with this. But let's remember Holocaust and genocide is the history of mankind. It's going on today. It rears its ugly head. And it's important for us never to forget, ever, any of this stuff. And when we see things going on today that are similar, we have to put a stop to it. And unfortunately... No, uh, my last name's Polzel, so I have a German side of the family. Unfortunately, and I'm going to make a very controversial statement here. The mindset of the people in Germany at the time, uh, right, allowed them to be easily manipulated by people. And again, this manipulation to do horrific things. Same thing in the Soviet Union with what happened to my mother and I lost 12 members of my family over there. Horrific. You can't let yourself be manipulated. You have to seek the truth, stick to morals, and can we all agree that murder is wrong, death is wrong, imprisonment because you disagree or don't like someone is wrong, Holocaust denial is wrong. If we don't learn from history, we're going to repeat it. And from all of the surveys we're seeing out there from over the years, people don't believe that this stuff happened. I know what it is for a family to be basically exterminated and that forgotten by history. Believe me, that, it, it's my mother lives it every day with this. Now it's going to happen with the Jewish Holocaust and World War Two at the hands of the Nazis. We're going to forget that. We're really going to forget that. That, that going to be. It's going to be uh, uh, what our legacy is. Where we forget all this stuff. We're more concerned with social media and TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. You name the. Uh, Uh, social media thing with the youth. We have to live this every day. We have to, we kind of mention this. We have to talk about it. We have to memorialize it. This anti-Semitism is unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. And we have to realize what those circumstances are that led to people being taken advantage of and doing horrific things, and willfully doing horrific things. And then everybody claims plausible deniability in this stuff. It's horrible, it's sickening, and it's disgusting. I hate to leave you on a Friday with that, but for Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel, and that safety war is all over the place.